Okie dokie. Uh, you guys want to get uh, started on the like <coughs> formal yeah. talking to people aside right. from the three of us thing? Sounds good. Okay, so we do the intro music. Doop, 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 doop. We don't have intro music. We don't have intro okay. music. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, this is a third-rate podcast. <laughs> Welcome back to the Calzumius podcast. And Hi, Neil, this is episode two with... Me. Episode two, well, 2.5, because we actually recorded an episode two and then mm-hmm. trashed it because it sucked. Yeah, this is... Uh, Alpha, two alpha, two beta, two beta. Yeah, it, it, it was an MVP of a podcast, and then we shot it in the head because it was not accomplishing customer goals or anything. Exactly. And we are joined today uh, by a special guest, Amy Hoy. Hello, Amy. Hello. Hello. Um, For people who don't, you want to do the introduction, Patrick? Oh, introduction. Yeah, I'm Patrick McKenzie, better known as Patty Eleven on the internet. I'm Keith Perhack, not in, not at all known on the internet. And joining us today is Amy Hoy, who is the founder of Freckle. And um, the new product, 30 by 500 which seems awesome, and we're going to have Amy talk about that a little more coming up. All right. And, Amy, do you have anything you want to add? There's a couple more products other than those. Yeah, well, <laughs> those, are, those are the big ones that I know of um, yeah. <laughs> that, that I'm most familiar with. And, of course, your blog, Unicorn Free, which is freaking awesome, by the way. Thank you. I was actually, um, I listened to the 5 by 5 podcast where you talked about where you came up with the name for Unicorn Free, and we're explaining all that, and... Ever since then, I've really enjoyed that. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I figure, like, it's. I was drunk, and I wrote a note, and I forgot, and there was a n- narwhal horn involved. <laughs> that it, uh, it was a pretty good story. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm fun. But I'm fun. Um, All right. So, let's see. So, the 30 by 500 class is opening up in the near future, and I feel it's probably uh, of interest to some people that are listening to this. So, why don't you give us the kind of rundown on that for the folks who, uh, listening at home who don't know what it is. I'd love to, if I can pronounce my own product's name. Uh, <laughs> sidebar, don't name your product with numbers in it. Mm-hmm. I never can say 30 by 500 properly unless I do it like that in slow-mo. <laughs> uh, so in 2008, I got absolutely sick and tired of consulting, even though our consulting business was doing really well, mine and my husband's. And um, I knew that I didn't want to be a consultant forever. I just kind of fell into it because I had these skills. And I knew that the way to make money was product. I had been watching 37 Signals from their their rise back when they had zero products and were just designers, and then they had products and all this stuff. And all these people I knew who started businesses and who were making money not by the hour but by the product. And so uh, I pushed my husband to help me make a software as a service, which is Freckle, which is nearly three years old now. And we also wrote, uh, after that, an ebook on JavaScript performance, and from there on, we built our product empire and weaned away from consulting entirely. Now, during this process, I felt entirely alone. Mm-hmm. There was almost no discussion about this stuff. I knew what I knew from reading business books, which were not tailored to me, you know, mm-hmm. a two-person company or who was starting on the side. They were tailored to larger businesses, but I was able to sort of extrapolate the advice and apply it to myself. Mm-hmm. And I read startup stuff most of which was totally useless for what I was doing. I wasn't trying to, you know, get millions of users. I couldn't spend money to acquire users. I couldn't right. um, mm-hmm. use yeah, venture capital. I couldn't hire the best people. I mean, my husband and I are pretty great, but <laughs> pretty much just us. Yeah, you were kind of and stuck we were between free. the two worlds, weren't you? Because you want totally. what you wanted was a standard business model, but there weren't any real books or information on standard business models in the Internet age. Mm-hmm. And what information there, there really was aren't. was... For startups, and startups generally assume venture capital, which, of course, you weren't going for. 
Which is a perfectly fact, great role to go down. I mean, just because you're a startup does not mean you need venture capital and does not mean you need to do the 7 billion users in two months for <laughs> freemium app, whatever, mm-hmm. right? But the hockey stick, the hockey <laughs> stick, how do you survive without the hockey stick? I don't know. Yeah. Um, in fact, I was anti-venture capital for me. I don't, mm-hmm. yeah. I feel like a lot of venture capital is quite deceptive, but I don't begrudge anyone for taking it if that's what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I'm like, go after the dealers, not the users. <laughs> um, but I really didn't want anyone else in between me and my customers and my success. I didn't want anyone fiddling with my stuff. I had not been able to, uh, until 2008, I had not been able to ship a project I worked on for years because management kept screwing with it, whether it was at Bear Stearns, well, they went out of business, or <laughs> LimeWire, where my CEO was like, a 12-year-old multi-million dollar, multi-millionaire Boy Scout on crack. Um, <laughs> never anything for years. And it was like, I was dying. I was like, no more intermediation, you know, no right. more between me and them. Um, so I was like, no venture capital. So you're right, there was nothing really to rely on other than old school business books and kind of what I had detected mm-hmm. by, you know, lurking around and following like 37 Signals and, you know, like, MailChimp and these other businesses. Mm-hmm. I sort of observed them over the years, lurked, mm-hmm. but they weren't writing. They weren't writing about it at that mm-hmm. time. Like right. Even Thirty Seven Signals was not writing about their bootstrapped and proud series. That was not in two thousand eight. You know, that was mm-hmm. a lot later. Yeah. So I it was st- really lonely. Yeah, I started Bingo Card Creator in two thousand six, and um, man, the state of the art back then. I was literally unsure it was legal to actually, you know, just like set up a shingle on the internet and start selling software. And people I talk to, um, man, our community has uh, some issues about uh, things like that. Uh, they're like, oh, no, God, man, uh, what if someone does a refund? You could get sued and dot, 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 dot. You should never, ever, ever try to get away from the day job. And besides, they own your soul. Um, so, yeah, go- going back to that a little, um, as much as we are three people on the Internet giving advice, you should never listen to people giving advice on the Internet. <laughs> Yeah, just us. Essentially, yeah, just the three of us. I Mm -hmm. think that's a very safe assumption. Mm -hmm. Um, I I would preface that by random people on the Internet. Mm -hmm. Um, Find people who are are successful and who are doing what they... who are practicing what they preach, essentially, right? I think that's kind of like life advice. Yeah, exactly. Hang around with the kind of people who are doing... or, you know, hang around with the kind of people you want to be with rather than the... Anybody kind of else? Loudest, um, who um, scream the loudest? Yeah. Like, um, you know, if, and this goes to like picking your community both in real life and in you know the internets. But uh, if you, if you routinely hang around people who, you know, run businesses, your, your perception of the world is going to get influenced by people who run businesses. And if you routinely hang around people who, who will perpetually have a business someday, you have a risk of that. Like kind of warping, you know, your perspective on things. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Like yeah. my rule of thumb is also that even if someone has what you want, and people ask, "Well, what's the secret to your success?" and they say, "Hard work," stop listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you know, because let's face it, it's a lot more than that. And mm-hmm. if they they don't have the insight or the willingness to share beyond the phrase "hard work," then there's nothing you can learn from them from what they say. Right explicitly trying to teach you. You can, like, observe and be, you, you know, the lurker wrong, and sort of right? analyze. But, uh, yeah. so, yeah, it, w- it really sucked. And so, um, and there were a lot of naysayers. Mm-hmm. Not maybe quite as serious as Patrick did, because we're a couple years later. And um, honestly, you know what? 
I really don't listen to people. <laughs> <laughs> Very good advice. Probably the best advice we'll get, we'll get out of this podcast. I think that is <laughs> don't Adele. listen to people. <laughs> don't listen to people. Um, <laughs> uh, people are like, no, 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 no. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> um, and so when, I, when we went through this, and it was, mm, some of it was harder than I thought, and a lot of it was easier than I thought. But it was all hard because we were alone. Mm-hmm. And, and this is we were doing this on the side with consulting, and we had these short burst, super intense consulting contracts, mostly for um, like Fortune 500 companies or Fortune 50 companies. And like Thomas did a lot of JavaScript security, JavaScript performance. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of um, we did a lot of these uh, like media art installations based around Twitter and other APIs, Foursquare and stuff for like Pepsi, who was awesome, and all the other people we worked for who weren't awesome. Mm-hmm. So these were like intense projects. They paid a lot, but they demanded a lot of us. So we were doing that and trying to build this product and then ship this product and then support the product after we shipped it and add new features and stuff. And it was really chaotic for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just... At the end of 2009... I knew that I could not do that anymore. So I've been like nearly like a year and a half, 18 months, 24 months almost of doing this. And I was like, I cannot consult and do this other stuff anymore. Like the product's suffering. I'm suffering. I have to quit. I'm going to quit now. We just got this big check from this two-week project that turned into two months of hell. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to quit. And I thought, well, what can I do to help shore up this income? And I thought, I know. I could help people who are like me two years ago. Mm-hmm. And... I wasn't sure if people were into it or not, so I, I did a three-hour teleconference and invited some people, and they paid me, not a lot, and uh, the number one feedback was more, mm-hmm. which I wrote down in my notebook is M-O-A-R-R-R-R. <laughs> I counted the R's the other day. I was like, wow. <laughs> Just love writing those R's, huh? <laughs> I did. Well, they, everyone was like, I want more. That was like the number one feedback, so I was like really excited, I guess, <laughs> extra R's. Mm-hmm. And uh, that slowly turned into this three-month three and a half month long uh, class that it is today. It's a 30 by 500. I built the first one with my friend Alex Hillman, who's awesome, who's bootstrapped a community and a physical office space for co-working and a whole bunch of other stuff in Philadelphia. And he's amazing. He's been a business consultant as well as this stuff. And he helped me with the first version and then he couldn't do it anymore Mm time-wise. And uh, I flipped all this stuff around and created a community to go along with the class. And well, I say created a community I basically opened the mailing list and invited people to talk on it. Mm-hmm. The students have really created the community. And so now I have this three-and-a-half-month-long um, mentorship program, which includes a lot of kind of mind-bending lessons and exercises that will help somebody get away from what I call idea quicksand, mm-hmm. where you have a fantastic idea, and then you either see someone else already did it or you get depressed. You're like, there's competitors. Is the market saturated? Can I validate this idea? What if I can't validate this idea? What if, you know, I can't build the whole thing and it won't be like I thought it was? And bleh. Basically, everyone goes, you know, mm-hmm. it ends in death and never shipping anything or, or shipping things no one wants. And so um, the very first thing we do in 30 by 500 is turn that around. I say no ideas <laughs> for the first month almost. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about learning about business, about how to come up with an infinite number of ideas so you don't ever have to feel... Of, of valid ideas, which are pre-validated. You don't have to have the idea, then validate. It's all about turning the process on its head, coming up with as many potential profitable products as possible, learning to do market research, learning to, to really sell those ideas on to people mm-hmm. before you build it, and all sorts of good stuff. Marketing, productivity, how to like trim it down to you know, a tiny thing you can ship, mm-hmm. all that stuff. And the class is all about that, and it's, it's pretty intense. 
but uh, we've had an amazing wave of launches lately, and I'm so happy. <laughs> yeah, I get uh, uh, people will not be surprised uh, based on my karma score, but I get most of my news through Hacker News, and saw <laughs> multiple of them on the front page in the last couple of days. With uh, let's see, there was a uh, oh shoot projector, the one that does yep. um, uh, designer stuff and client stuff. Uh, I'm sorry, it's, I can never. It's, it's- it's like project management and budget and scope management mm-hmm. for freelance freelancers and agencies to use with their clients. The mm-hmm. client sees where their money is going, mm-hmm. which is a huge problem, as you may know. Right. Yeah, and uh, uh, I think you've mentioned this before, but there's so a piece of received wisdom uh, in the community, which I will be totally honest, I've said this many times, is don't make things for people who are like you because, you know, developers slash designers, et cetera, don't pay for software. Um, And I think you have an opinion on this as somebody who successfully sells time tracking management and who just had multiple customers uh, or multiple, I guess, uh, students from the program launch straight into the designer community and totally kill it. But what's your opinion on that? It's not true. (laughs) That was dramatic. That was my water bottle going pop. (laughs) (laughs) It's simply not true, mm-hmm. Pop, um, which is a polite way to put it. <laughs> it's, I mean, if you look around at all these companies that are making so much money off the developer and designer audience, like right. GitHub, mm-hmm. Lynda.com, Basecamp started yeah. exclusively with developers and designers. That was their market. They sort of uh, marketed to people like them, the small agencies and the individuals, <laughs> and it grew out from there. Massively, it did. But they started with that core audience. That's how I knew about it. Mm-hmm. I found out about it on an invite-only design community way back in, like, 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have usually have a whole list of peep code. Look at peep code. Mm-hmm. Jeff's does very well. Um, let's see. Ruben from Bid Sketch, mm-hmm. he's a total one-man option. Mm-hmm. He just dramatically increased his prices, and he's doing fantastically. Mm-hmm. Bid Sketch is all about uh, preparing beautiful, templatized proposals for your clients. Like, there's so much fresh books, Harvest, all these other time trackers mm-hmm. which make ma- way more money than I do. Mm-hmm. There's a lot, a lot, and it, not all of those are exclusively designer developer anymore, mm-hmm. but a lot of them started that way and they branched out as they grew um, but there's a lot of developer only ones as well look at all these apps for server monitoring or mm-hmm. rails screencasts from many different people not just Jeff mm-hmm. there's just tons and tons and tons of stuff um, so I don't I don't know where the idea that they don't buy comes from because there's products everywhere that mm-hmm. are successful I think it's partly a projection thing like I don't buy anything, and therefore people like me must not buy stuff, which uh, there's many issues with projecting your own behavior onto other people. And really, I think there's also a... um, So this is not just the Hacker News crowd. This is not just the Slashdot crowd. This is not just the techie crowd. There's a lot of people, and I think the naysayers are people who have more time than money is honestly what it comes down to. Because, honestly, if I had a ton of time, if I was working a 9-to-5 job and had a set number of hours a day I worked and a fixed income at that, and I need time-tracking software, I would probably write it my own on the weekend because I have more time than I have money at that point. For someone who's trying to run or start their own business, they suddenly have more money than they have time 
Not that they're making tons of money, but because their time is much more valuable because there are so many other things they could be doing. Um, Patrick and I have actually talked about this because I've needed to write my own um, invoicing software and stuff like that, and I finally did not because I thought, well, I could set up an MVP in about a week and take another week to kind of fix any bugs. So that's two weeks of my time that it would take to build just my invoicing software. Or I could pay 20 to $50 a month for someone else's invoicing software, right? Yes. And that's just, that's a no-brainer. I mean, two weeks yes. of billable work versus $50 a month, no, no-brainer at all. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, but how long did you think about buying the podcasting equipment? Um, actually, that we just kind of fell into that. <laughs> um, yeah, but so I, I got find a lot of people who say they don't buy stuff. They actually buy stuff left and right. They just aren't paying attention. Right. Not not that you bought it mindlessly while you were sleepwalking or anything. You just didn't like. <laughs> when you think back in your memory, you think, "When did I buy things?" It just doesn't pop up. Right. Well, I've uh, I'm gradually getting better about it. And the podcast and I was like, "We need podcasting equipment." Okay, <coughs> done. Um, a couple of years ago, so. I started Bingo Card Creator on like a $60 budget, and when you only have 60 yeah. in the budget, um, you get very creative about not spending money. But uh, <laughs> these days, um, the budget is much more than $60, and I have to sometimes like slap myself and say, no, implementing this myself is absolutely not the right call. Um, yeah. I was uh, talking to a buddy of mine and asked, is there any way I can, you know, Optimize Redis such that it will use uh, uh, 15 megabytes less of RAM on the server, and uh, that then I won't have to you know upgrade to the next higher tier of VPS. And he said, "How much is the next higher tier of the VPS?" I'm like, "Twenty dollars." Do we need to have the rest of the conversation? <laughs> okay, okay, I get it, I get it. And gradually, very gradually, I'm starting to get it, um, which makes things it like it takes time. Um, Starting to but most people aren't like you, even developers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, 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 that's fairly unusual. Most of us, especially Americans, we just need to throw money at stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I think we're very um, much conditioned by living here. Um, and also, it, it's weird. Once you get to certain price points, like low price points for some reason, people he and haw over much more than they would... Um, they would um, decide over something of a large price point. If you're spending $1,000, it's easy to spend another hundred. If you're spending ten dollars or fifteen dollars, people seem to um, to think about it a lot more. Um, That's true. Yeah. The I'm old the old president of my company, multi multi billionaire, uh, billionaire millionaire, um, and he does a lot of um, donations and stuff to colleges and stuff. And he had done this multi million dollar donation to a college, and he had just finished signing the contract, and he's leaving, and he goes to a convenience store and. Um, picks up a bottle of water and he goes, I can't believe water at a convenience store is 135 yen. That's just so expensive. <laughs> I'm like, millions of dollars. You just contributed millions of dollars mm-hmm. and you're complaining about a dollar 35. I mean, <laughs> well, you know, I think, I think we all fall kind of prey to that one. Mm-hmm. I, the other day I was in a convenience store and I realized that I needed a toothbrush and I bought a toothbrush and I was like, why is this toothbrush a dollar seventy five? I've been paying like three fifty each. Right. <laughs> and I and caught myself and I was thinking, I'm gonna buy my tooth toothbrushes there from now on. And you actually consider, like, wait a minute. Like, <laughs> you, you actually consider should I go to a different store to get the cheaper toothbrush? And by the it time only you passed spend, in a moment, yeah, I would say. It goes in a in moment. My credit, but, but 
it occurred to me, and I was like, come on, Amy. And I've occasionally thought, well, I should, you know, tip the exact amount, 20% or whatever. And I'm like, come on, really? Am I even wasting a cycle of my brain on 50 cents? Right. Um, you know, but I don't, I'm not like that with buying software or tools for business at all. Exactly. So I think what you said earlier about selling to businesses is totally true. Yeah. But I think there's a lot more people who just aren't commenting on things, mm-hmm. who just quietly buy the things that they want and need, whether or not they have a business. Right, right. And I think... Um, uh, so I think this might or might not be a new thing for 30 by 500, but you're starting to uh, focus more on building um, apps and things for businesses uh, than for B2C stuff, which as somebody who knows and loves many B2C customers for his bingo product is totally the right way to go. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you use love in a negative way. <laughs> I do love my customers. Um, I, I understand. Love them even when they write, you know, I can't access your product from the blue Googles, only from the green Googles. Can you please help me out? <laughs> that's still from a place of love. It's just, it, it's from a place of I can do the math on what my hourly is on that versus yeah. appointment reminder where I get to, you know, charge a car dealership every month. And they literally, um, like I've had had a car dealership say, is it like 200 an hour or 200, no, 200 a day or 200 a month? Like it's 200 a month and they're like, whatever, you know, either would have worked. Oh, that's nice. That should... So um, the, the in related response, news, the I'm, correct response I'm to that is not two hundred dollars a month. It's like if they ask, "Is it two hundred a day or two hundred a month?" You say a day. If they say that's too expensive, you say then a week. <laughs> start with the, start with the expensive one first. Yeah. you got to capture that. It's, I think it's called uh, customer surplus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you want that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, we were uh, thinking about talking about pricing grids. So one of the things that um, that you can actually learn if you spend too much time hanging out on the Internet and talking to people about this is that a lot of SaaS companies use, like, the four-column uh, pricing grid strategy. And uh, typically, uh, I've talked to a lot of folks about this one. The the one that really, like, prints, prints the cash, usually about 50% of sales, is the one to the extreme right that's priced at businesses that people think, oh, no one can actually buy, you know, uh, say woofoo for 250 a month and it's just yep. uh, people who are spending essentially other people's money like it just comes out of a budget so it doesn't matter to them whether it's 200 or 250 or 500 as long as it still only requires one signature or zero signatures it's you know whatever it is and yep, um, and I and that I hear the amount for signatures is usually like about for like employee generated expenses in large companies, it's usually around five hundred dollars. Like yeah, yeah. I think under under five hundred, it's like whatever. Mm-hmm. That's consistent with yourself. my experience. So, I think uh, uh, well, anybody who's doing a SaaS pricing grid where it top, where the like top price tops out at twenty or thirty dollars should really rethink like, what they're doing. Put, <laughs> put anything you need, whatever, to just get a um, uh, to just get an enterprise level, even if you don't necessarily call it the enterprise level, and price it at right. Two, 250 to 500, and it's free money, and oh goodness. Um, so, yeah. so not even looking at this as a huge business, um, like when people think of business, they think of huge corporations, but even for small companies that are making a good amount of money, let's say that a company has maybe six people working there that are contractors, all right, and a good contractor will run you about 100 to 200 an hour, depending on what they're doing. Yep. If a product on the internet costs you the same as one hour of that person's time and saves them over an hour a month, then yep. it's a no-brainer to get that, right? 
And that, that is exactly why, mm-hmm. actually, but Patrick, you sort of asked this earlier. Um, I've always told people uh, in 30 by 500 and Year of Hustle, do not sell to consumers. And some people will be then say, well, but I have this idea. I'm like, no. It's mm-hmm. like, you can do it, but I'm not going to support you because you're going exactly against what I told you to do right. for that reason. For that reason. It's like you can sell to, on value to business people. Mm-hmm. Like you can say you spend $80 an hour on this freelancer, I can save you 45 minutes of their time and charge you $60, and that is a win. Like, mm-hmm. Certainly not a loss. Um, I think I did the math wrong. I think that's exactly $60. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's say half an hour of their time for 50 bucks or whatever. Mm-hmm. No, that's still wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we get the I general get idea. Numbers. So, you know what I'm saying. Right. So there's really two places that you can really provide numerable... Um, benefits to your customers. One is saving time because a consultant takes time. The amount of money that you save is directly related to how much you can charge, right? The other one is anything that increases sales, right? Totally. For example, Visual Website Optimizer prints money for customers. Anyone who is using Visual Website Optimizer is literally printing money with every single test that they do. Right. This is the A-B testing oh, yeah, software. Yeah, A-B testing. We often yep. recommend it clients. It is so amazing. Their second largest, um, so their largest for enterprises call us. That's fine. Their second largest is $250 a month. Okay. $250 a month for increases of sales starting at 2%, 5%, 10%, 50%. As good as your test can be, that's how much money you are making with their $250 yep. a month service. It's amazing. <laughs> Right. It is amazing. They could probably charge more for that. They could. They could. So Ruben, Ruben Gomez, who does uh, bid sketch, I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. um, he tweeted repeatedly and told me personally how much more money he was making when he drastically increased his prices. And I've been nagging him to write a blog post. Mm-hmm. So um, I want to keep nagging him until it happens. But his story is pretty incredible. I'm not going to release the numbers because he hasn't done it yet. Mm-hmm. But he's. You would think that he's looking at price-sensitive people, the freelancers and, and consultants, and um, it worked out so well for him. Mm-hmm. So well. I think he's coming from MicroConf, so we should just, you know, we're going to yes. lock him in a hotel room in Las Vegas yes. and not let him out until the <coughs> blog post is written. <laughs> I vote yes. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a cool guy. I like him a lot. Yeah. Um, uh, so, I'm yeah, you were saying more sales um, or saving time, and <laughs> I also think of... People usually go to cost reduction, mm-hmm. I think, when they talk about value, like monetary value. But I don't see nearly as many products being successful for reducing costs, unless it's extreme. Because penny pinchers aren't people aren't who spend money. money. Right. Right. One thing that's uh, great for software is if you can tell a story where it... Uh, um, and, you know, ultimately all sales is about telling stories and painting the right picture in people's minds. But... Uh, Tell a story where it reduces the amount of employee labor required to do something, particularly if that either allows them to switch them to tasks that actually generate money or, um, I hate I hate sounding like a business book, but decreasing headcount. If you can successfully pitch to a business that you are going to decrease headcount, that is a total win in 99.95% oh, yes. of cases. Uh, so, like, appointment reminder, my uh, software that does uh, phone calls to... Uh, the clients of professional services businesses. I often say that, you know, if you have an office manager who costs you $4,000 a month, who uh, half of her time is literally, you know, talking to people's voicemail to attempt to get them into the office at the proper time, then, you know, spend 200 a month and save $2,000 yep. on salary costs. And uh, one of my 
more successful clients is saying that basically I saved him enough on that to um, put his daughter through Harvard. <laughs> so a, you need to raise your prices. I need There's to raise that my customer prices. surplus. Yeah, I, <laughs> I so do. Um, I did something very stupid when I launched Appointment Reminder, and I'll just tell it to everybody to uh, avoid doing it. I launched with a uh, the four-tier pricing structure like usual, and the bottom plan was $9 for a quote-unquote personal plan. And that has just been... So my idea was, I don't really care about the $9. I just want people using this. I should have liked people using it at 30 bucks a month for the right. like cheap plan yes. because the people who pay $9 are, um, my word is pathological customer for people who are penny-pinching and they have every kind of support issue that you could possibly imagine. Like, how do I record telephone calls if I don't have a telephone? Um, yeah, it's, you know, can I use this from my... Uh, can I log into the website from my Kindle, which doesn't really have a web browser in it, yada, yada, da, da, da. And they expect, you know, uh, uh, turnaround times of like two minutes or less to customer support issues arising at 3 a.m. in the morning. I would really like to see someone, I don't know if anyone has done a blog post about this, about a breakdown of the number of support calls and support messages you have broken down by which plan they're in. I would assume. Well, I will totally bet that it is the it is the cheapo Charlies who contribute me like too. 80%. vastly, yeah. vastly. Heard that over number. and over again from everybody. Yeah. Also, um, this is something that you could absolutely do with our upcoming software as a service product, Charm, mm-hmm. which is a customer support and true customer relationship management tool. Mm-hmm. Everyone says CRM; they mean lead tracker, which mm-hmm. I find to be terribly dishonest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's like, one, they're not customers yet. They're leads. And then after they're customers, it doesn't help you at all. Mm-hmm. Um, the only exception I've seen is Intercom, which is pretty neat. Intercom. But they don't call themselves a CRM, I don't yeah. think. I think. But a Charm will let you filter requests by plans or price points. Mm-hmm. And so you'll be able to profile feature requests and issues, mm-hmm. specific ones like, please add invoicing feature, that kind of thing, by which plan or how much your customers are paying you. But also you will be able to see how many incidents you get from which type of customer. Mm-hmm. That would be great. But everyone I've covered talked to. If you can uh, get anonymized data for that. And, well, it's not a great it, idea. But, yeah. no, I mean, that's easy to get anonymized data from. You say, my support is X. No, my support numbers are X, and they belong to the lowest tier. I mean, you can use even um, general numbers for that, I would think. Do you mean if you blog about it, Patrick, anonymized? Or um, uh, well, I was uh, so I've already retracted this idea, but the idea I have now retracted was, oh, you could uh, you know aggregate across all cu- all charm customers the uh, you know whether it was the cheapo plan or whatever that generated the most results, oh. and I'm like, no, that's that, that's a wee bit aggressive. Uh, <laughs> I think that's like a cat dot jpeg moment because I don't really yeah. think so. Um, I don't think it's a cat dot jpeg moment. That, like. Hmm. I don't. The rational part of me thinks that it's not a cat died JPEG moment, but I think that loud people will perceive it as a cat died JPEG moment. And we're but really this is inside baseball here, so let me I tell have, everyone. First of all, yeah, JPEG I have no idea. Um, so <laughs> sorry. Thir- so thirty-seven signals said, "Oh, the hundred millionth uh, file has just been uploaded to uh, Basecamp, and it was called cat that JPEG." And they like tweeted that out or put it in a blog post or something, and the. Um, uh, the folks who are worried about the Facebookization of all services were like, oh my god, you know, 37 signals can 
view of all this data that we're uploading to their servers and they're not treating it in a privacy conscious manner. Which is, um, it's, so, okay, yes, A, it is totally technically possible for people to upload data or to view data that you upload to your servers. That's kind of how it works. Um, but, and if you don't trust them on that, you definitely should not be using Basecamp. But it was kind of a tempest in a teapot kind of thing about whether it's okay to publish that, even if it's a trivial amount of, you know, customer data. Like, no one's business is going to collapse over the words cat.jpg getting out, where if it was, yeah. um, you know, letter of intent to dismiss Mary Smith for sexual misconduct dot <laughs> doc. Uh, <laughs> they might have animalized that. Yeah. Right. I, I don't think they would have put that up there. Mm-hmm. I think people were more upset over the f- idea that they were looking at individuals' accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of apps out there which say, like, how many bookmarks or how many dollars has been invoiced or how many hours have been right. tracked and mm-hmm. stuff. No one, I've never seen anyone ever complain. complain about that. I think right. FreshBooks and, like, Hunch, they all do these, like, infographic-style breakdowns of the data, mm-hmm. but it's totally anonymized, like he said. Right. So it's a, totally an aggregate. I can't imagine. Well, you know right. what? And I'm going to do it with Freckle anyway, so we, we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the, noisy, the noisy people, the people who are complaining, I think, about the cat.jpg, I mean, aggregate aggregate data. Aggregate data. Aggregate data. There we go. Aggregate. Great. Aggregate data is um is brought from individual data, right? So if you have the aggregate data, if you have source to create the aggregate data, you have the original source data. So there's really no difference in the privacy, right? And it's not like the cat.jpg applied. To, it's not like they purposely were looking at anyone's single base camp. Right? They just did query. Item number one million. What is the name of that item? Right. Like, right. I don't know. Like Patrick said, Tempest and Teapot. How different would it feel if I wrote a blog post on Freckle, which is a time tracking productivity tool, mm-hmm. that like thirty percent of all hours logged yesterday were overhead hours, like that are non-billable, mm-hmm. versus I said the hundred millionth hour was logged to a project called Cat. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I don't well, think they didn't, would even, care. they didn't even mention the project name, right? See, I think no, it, but it would be different if you said that. But if you said the tenth million or the millionth um, task that was logged was overhead, I don't know how interesting that is, but I mean, um, I think that it. See, me personally, that's perfectly fine. See, this is kind of like the reason why it's a tempest in the teapot. The only reason that anecdote was put into the post, anyhow, is because it's harmless and silly and trivial. Hilarious. And if you know. <laughs> If the like million or hundred millionth item had been like a business document, it just wouldn't have been mentioned because a, it you know privacy issues, but b it isn't funny, but right. because it's you know stupid cat photos, it's funny, and brah, tempest and teapot. I, yeah. I I avoided commenting on those threads because I thought commenting would make me dumber. <laughs> and so we're doing a whole podcast about it. Yeah. Yes. Now, it's true. I feel sorry, myself getting more stupid with every sentence that comes out of my mouth. Um, oh, no. What were our value-creating topics we were going cells. to talk value, um, Okay, so value-creating topics. Um, number one was the cat picture that um, Basecamp no, had. No, that was, not on, oh, that was not on the list. Oh, that was not on the list. Okay. Uh, oh, we were going to talk about... So, so Amy, you've, uh, uh, you're like... Uh, business trajectory has been from one where you were consulting and not really, not really loving it to put it mildly. Where now you're 100% on the products. Uh, I'm, 
I started uh, with the product slash day job and got quit of the day job as of two years ago this <coughs> week, which was the best decision, second best decision ever. Happy anniversary. Um, thank you. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's and April. then, um, but uh, I kind of got sucked into consulting starting uh, about the same time I quit the day job because people threw motivational amounts of money <laughs> at me. And it was just hard to say no to the checks. And they generally come from people who are not Fortune 500 companies and uh, have a little less BS associated with it. Like, you know, the minimum the minimum BS that you can possibly have while still taking money from other people, I think. Um, yeah. So I'm pretty happy with with that. But in, in the future, I would love to transition back into 100% product. And Keith is kind of at the... Um, the end of the totem pole where he's uh, Keith also quit uh, like we talked about on the podcast like time he quit his crazy Japanese day job and now works for consulting clients who are much better but uh, he also nurses dreams of you know having a a product uh, and actually like creating something of my own right mm -hmm. yeah it's an awesome feeling it is I'm going to tell you from over here Mm -hmm. it's great (laughs) <laughs> Why did I do this three years earlier? <laughs> you know, yeah. Can um, we just keep keep at it. It's worth it. So um, people have told me that they um, that they're actually interested in how the lifestyle works out, as opposed to you know, everyone grows up knowing lots of examples of people who work day jobs, and everyone kind of knows. Okay, you work for about forty hours a day. You go commute to an office. Like you know what the the package lifestyle deal of working for a day job is, whereas they don't know what it is to. Um, you know, run a product. So can we just, like, spill the beans and say it's effing awesome all the time? (laughs) (laughs) Except for customer support. Even for customer support. Whenever I have to touch any other institution, like government or healthcare or banking, I kind of want to kill myself. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. But it's no worse than working with with marketing people, so... (laughs) (laughs) Which is what I was doing as a consultant. And we never have to talk to an HR department, which is worth its weight in gold. Um, you know, I never worked at a company big enough to do that, so like I've avoided a special kind of hell. I feel very lucky for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the um, one of the things that I'm really appreciating this year is I'm getting married in June, yay, and pretty much taking off. Um, um, I just told my consulting clients that uh, basically either get themselves in by the end of May or it's not happening till September, and yep. just took off the like kind of entire stretch in there, and we'll just. You know, not be working, and um, awesome. the I get a lot of people asking me, well, you know, how can you do that? The servers are gonna like burn down in a fiery badness. So just <laughs> verify for me that I'm not insane here. That's not really how things work, right? Like these businesses, yeah. you know, but of work course compa- it's how it works. The moment you <clears throat> turn your head, everything explodes in a fireball, and nope. then Godzilla comes out of the ocean. No, this is ha- this is half <laughs> true, on. especially with Patrick's um. Patrick's um, track record. That's not actually true. Okay, let me Uh-oh. put it this way. <laughs> Patrick, is there dirt here? Is there dirt to dish? No, no, Do we get to there's, dish no, dirt? there's no dirt. <laughs> and he's actually blogged about this. Um, whenever he is fully available, he generally has no support costs on his products, right? I think, like, what, an hour of support a day? Or yeah, something way like that? less than that, dude. Way, way less than that. Okay, maybe 10 minutes. 20 minutes a week. 20 maybe. minutes a week, okay. Anytime he gets on an airplane or anything where he has no internet connectivity, the server goes down. <laughs> this, is, this is not actually true. It just happened... One out so of ten times. <laughs> it just seems like it, right? it, it. It happened when I was doing an intercontinental flight um, back at Halloween, which is unfortunately the busy se- season for bingo cards. So, I'll, so it wasn't the plan. But, but, you know... Um, 
Well, you had another one when you were moving. You were moving and didn't have phone access for oh, God. for um, one day, so, and the server crashed. So this is two events in six years. Uh, the, the key that we were trying to emphasize to people, impressionable youngsters who are listening to this podcast, is that you can step away from the business, and it will not consume your life. You can. And you people, can. Will, people will happily pay you money, even if you're not working on the product every day, because people don't care if you're working on the product every day. Yes. They only care what they're getting out of it. The, the point I'm trying to make is, and what you say is true, 20 hours a week, you can go off and do what you want. People don't care if you are working eight hours a day on your product, and you really shouldn't be after you've launched to any certain degree, but keep your phone on. I'm sorry, I couldn't parse that sentence. You can only not work 20 hours a week and people don't care. I'm uh, confused. Oh, sorry, sorry. 20, <laughs> did, did, I, did I really say that? that yes. The, the English there. The English, English, okay, yeah. so... As I'm sure everyone knows, we've been in Japan way, way, way too long. Um, okay. So your customers do not care that you're only working 20 day or 20 minutes a week, or they don't right. expect you to be working eight hours a day because as long as the service works, they don't care. And That's you should right. not be working that much um, once your product is launched. However, you should always have your cell phone or some sort of internet connection on in case things do explode. So. Or someone um, to watch it for you. We just took a month off in New Zealand mm -hmm. and then we came back and for a week and a half we're doing city hopping in the US, San Francisco and Atlanta mm -hmm. and I actually did do email every two to four days because I wanted to keep up with my class. Mm -hmm. uh, we had one, we had somebody handling frontline support for the two apps. We did have a server problem with Charm mm -hmm. but we're, we haven't launched that product publicly yet because we're still ironing out those infrastructure kinks, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think my husband actually worked like two hours the entire trip because mm -hmm. he doesn't have his class that he's running mm -hmm. um, and nothing bad happened. So here's the thing, right? When you have a lot of customers, something bad can happen and you can lose a few and you can be like, you know what? I lost $200 a month of business and I took a month off. Mm -hmm. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? You know? Um, <laughs> and you can just gain those back. You come back, you're like, I'll get new customers. It's not a big deal. <laughs> like, someone and will always cancel for some <laughs> reason. It doesn't it really matter. And Freckle has gone down quite a, a few times, but it's a low available. It's like a product where you're not in it all day, and so <laughs> it goes down once in a while. People don't even get mad as long as you, you know, try to get back on and, you know, apologize. <laughs> if it happens in the middle of the night, so be it. I'm not getting up in the middle of the night. No way. Right. And this is one thing I think a lot of people um, on the internet think that there's a limit to the number of customers you can have. They always talk about market shares and stuff like that. And talking about market shares when you're going after big companies or products that need millions and millions of users is one thing. So bingo card creator is a very good one because people always say, how much of a market is there for, for um, teachers that need bingo cards, right? And... There's not, compared to the number of programmers in the world, probably not many. But there are a fuck ton, right? There, More than I could ever hope to get to my website is the, is right. the short version. Yeah, <laughs> if you were to even get 1%, you would never have to work again. I hate the 1% math, but... Um, okay. Oh, me too. So, so bingo, you know, just, just as like a comparable for folks, Bingo Card Creator, which is the... Almost like the canonical example of, oh, God, that was a poor choice in niche selection. Patrick, why did you do that? <laughs> um, has over 200,000 users, 
and 6,000 paying customers. So if you think your thing for programmers is going to be more niche than that, uh, you probably need to recalibrate expectations. Um, You're probably wrong also. Yeah. Yeah. and if I only had recurring revenue, that's another thing. Um, <laughs> recurring revenue, man, that's the best kind of revenue, isn't it? It is crack mm-hmm. in a good way. It's crack that doesn't make you sick. Yeah. <laughs> and it's legal and stuff. Yeah. You don't have to inject it. I don't know. How do you take crack? <laughs> <laughs> Stop it now. <laughs> yeah, so, so, our street cred is going down the toilet right now. <laughs> so definitely, if you have the opportunity to make a SaaS business, do the... Do the monthly charge thing that all the cool kids are doing because it does wonderful, wonderful things for like, your cash flow. For um, it helps you absorb advertising costs better. Uh, it will greatly, great like it allows you to have high customer lifetime values without your customers perceiving the service as being expensive at all. It's true. That mm-hmm. is a very good point. It is the holy grail, and I mm-hmm. love it. And <laughs> That's um, back to your market share comment. Uh, recently, I mean, it seems recently, but it was like six or eight weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, people are like, "Do people?" Uh, someone on Hacker News was like, "Do people still pay for porn or like these other things?" And you were chimed in, you're like, "I don't know about that, but I know people pay for a lot of these other tools, mm-hmm. among which you named time tracking." And then the same or different person, very skeptical, was like, "People don't pay for time tracking." Oh, people pay <laughs> for time tracking. And that's how I read Hacker News, by the way. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned me. Mm-hmm. And like, well, that's just one example. In any industry, there could be one example which makes money. And I had to chime in and go, you know what? There's at least six to eight companies which make like geometrically more money than I do. <laughs> and then it went silent, surprisingly. <laughs> <laughs> Always I think, does. Uh, I, think I think a lot of people don't. They don't have any clue, but they think that they do about market share. Mm-hmm. What I hear a lot is, um, oh, but that market is saturated. Like you don't even know what that means. Mm-hmm. That's not what you think it means. Saturated means people don't buy stuff anymore, but they do. Right. If you have a tool that is very popular, has a lot of customers, there's got to be a significant portion of those customers who are being ill-served by that product. Right, right. It cannot be all things to all people. So someone like us, who just needs a few thousand customers to live like a king, mm-hmm. can swoop in and serve a segment of those customers, which were created for you by this competitor, which is allegedly saturating the market. Mm-hmm. That's uh, something I've been telling people for a while, is that you know competitors are a wonderful thing because it's you know an engraved invitation from God that tells you that there's money to be made in a particular you know place. And there are always yeah. going to be people using your competitor's products that are not happy with them, that might want to go totally. somewhere else. And Absolutely. if you have a feature that other places don't have, and even if you have a combination of features, so everyone else in the space might have the exact same features, but they don't have them in the same combination, you then have a niche of an already proved market share that want the um, features that you're offering. Mm-hmm. And we, I think it's we shouldn't be the engineers here, too. Like we, we start talking about feature, 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 but right. you could honestly take something which is feature equivalent or even at less than feature <coughs> parity and just um, market it in such a way that it you know actually worked for people who it isn't working for right now and that would itself justify a different business like uh, uh, you know there's man there's there, there must be 500,000 you know big freaking enterprise project management slash time tracking slash uh, SA whatever yada yada things which um, you know a like um, Freckler and whatnot doesn't have to compete with them because you're addressing just you know a different market than the the kind of folks who want to buy consultingware from IBM. So 
you know, Absolutely. Even, even with just you know a fraction of the um, uh, a fraction of the quote unquote feature set, you can just say, look, it will do what you need to do and get you back to charging your customers money. Then uh, that makes it a a viable option for them. Whereas the you know IBM consulting where it wouldn't be, or even the you know is uh, I don't know who you would consider Freckles big uh, big competitors in the in the harvest. Like, kind of harvest or, or really. No tool at all, I think, <laughs> is our biggest competitor. That's yeah. a big like one. That's, that is a big one. That <laughs> is a big one. Um, folks it's ask huge. Me, <laughs> folks ask me uh, how I convince people to uh, to stop using whatever their uh, whatever their business is scheduling software is and start using appointment reminder because you know you have to have the appointment schedule to send out the appointments uh, reminders at the right time. And the the easiest answer to that is you, you know all you have to do is outcompete paper. Right. It's not very hard. Most, yep. most people, especially techies, think that there is a solution out there already that people are using in a space that they don't understand. And one of the things I've seen with my clients, especially, is they don't have a solution other than Excel and a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Right? If you oh, can, it's so true. If you can beat out Excel, you're winning. Yeah. Oh, God. The, the, sad, oh. Thing is, the sad thing is how many people don't beat be, out Excel, right? Yeah. Be Thanks. careful about that because a lot of... so. I teach my students a lot of different things, mm-hmm. one of which is a list of failure archetypes, type one failures, failures that cannot be resuscitated by, like, more work and marketing and repositioning and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of them is a cure for religion. That's one of the archetypes. And mm-hmm. the thing is trying to solve something that people they don't see as a problem. Right. <laughs> Lots of people love Excel, and you will never pry it from their cold, dead fingers because they friggin' love it. So you can be better than Excel, and they'll be like, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not interested. I love Excel. A lot of people cannot be reformed by software. I actually had a... um, (laughs) It's really funny. My old company, um, they were having not cash flow issues, but reporting issues on their invoices and monies received and everything. It was taking so long because they were doing it over seven or eight Excel files and nothing was tied together and the sales guys were not reporting right. And so they commissioned me as an employee to spend a month or two creating an invoicing system that would tie back to all their sales and everything and just make it really easy to use. Um, I I got all the requirements, made it all. I thought it was probably the easiest thing to use ever. Everyone said, oh, this is so easy to use. No one used it. <laughs> like, uh, what they would I do... I think that was where that was going. Yeah. They, <laughs> I'm sorry. Actually, the sales guys really liked it. The sales guys would put it in, copy the data into Excel, and send it to the accounting <laughs> firm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the saddest thing ever is to have your software simply be a copy-paste solution for Excel. <laughs> yes. I don't know if, uh, that if that's sad really or terrible. opportunity, because I've... Um, I have definitely created things where, uh, for largely not in pu- publicly accessible parts of the product, but people say, you know, the workflow requires X at the end of it. And like, if the if if that is the issue that's preventing you from paying me a motivational amount of money every month, then wham, there's a button on your dashboard now that exports a CSV file. Go to town. Yeah. Um, although... That's an issue I think we've all talked about before. Customers, um, the things they tell you are the reasons they're not buying the software are generally not the, the reasons, reasons they're actually not buying the software. They're usually, yes. I find it is a mistake to listen to people. Mm-hmm. Not just in like, I don't take their advice. This is different. I mm-hmm. watch what they do. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like the whole don't 
programmers don't buy things. Like I see people saying that. Meanwhile, they pay for like Apple products and mm-hmm. GitHub and Peep Code, and they say they say it with a straight face when they say it. Right. But like I would sign up for your service if X Y Z, and I'm like, well, what would that look like? Why do you need that? And they come up with something that's so bizarre. I'm like right. why don't you do it this way? And they're like, oh, because you, you, when people ask for features, like as a client. Um, most of us who are experienced consultants know that you can't take anything they say at face value. Mm-hmm. You'll be like, well, what? what is your purpose, right? They're like, I need this animated flash widget, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And then you find out they need something really simple, and they just came up with that because it looked likely. And they like to sound like they know they what they're know doing. What they're doing right? <laughs> but they don't. <laughs> um, it's our job to figure that out and look at what they actually do. Customers, businesses, clients, all of them together, most of them have really no idea how their business runs, I think. Um, Patrick always says that there's a key value, there's a key number to any business that is um, that directly influences the bottom line of sales. And the number of companies that actually know that key number are far and few between, I think. Like what kind of number are we talking about? Um, so I did, a, what? I did a recent um, rejiggering of a online registra- registration service, and I did some consulting for them. And they were under the impression that 90% of their um, reservations came from the website instead of phone or walk-ins. And they were under the impression that they were having about a 60% or a really high conversion rate from people who came into the system. And once we brought out the actual numbers, they saw that there was only 20% actually using the website. And of those 20%, only, I think, like 9% actually completed a reservation (laughs) on the website. And so it's not that those numbers were necessarily bad, but they had a completely opposite view of the reality of their business, right? And they had been doing that for five, six years. And if they had noticed that five, six years earlier, they could have completely changed their strategy, but instead they were poking along because they were under a misconception. I think... um, That's a pretty big misconception. That's a pretty big (laughs) misconception, I know. I think... (laughs) <laughs> that, that happens over and over again in my consulting career, even for companies who are, um, I'm, I'm lucky I get to work with with savvy, intelligent people. I mean, hey, they, they pay me, hey. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's all, they're all good companies run by smart people, and many of them do not have, um, they don't have the infrastructure in place to tell them uh, material facts about the business that you can't get you know, just by looking at, like, a screen in Google Analytics, and then that directly influences uh, decision-making about those material facts. Um, We tend not to notice what isn't there. Mm -hmm. We just work on whatever's in front of us. We don't look for the thing that's missing. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting topic. Uh, So what kind of, um, (coughs) as, like, one business operator to another, what kind of things do you track for your business? So... Since we last talked, it hasn't really changed that much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we have a lot more. Actually, no, that's not true. We set up KISS metrics, and so we track a lot of things now. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do not have a real, very a very good sales funnel tracking, and that's because we plan to redo the sales page completely. Mm-hmm. And this is my white whale, perhaps, or some other thing that will never get finished mm-hmm. <laughs> that I should give up on before I become a horrible novel mm-hmm. or something because um, that's going to happen. Um, but we track a lot of revenue. We track turn rate. We track feature adoption now. Mm-hmm. But I'll be honest, 
I haven't looked at it lately. Mm-hmm. And by lately, I mean like the last three months. We've been totally occupied with other stuff. In fact, we haven't developed or even deployed finished features for Freckle for months because of the international move mm-hmm. and all the other drama we had in our personal life and mm-hmm. uh, travel and Thomas getting his immigration stuff sorted out. It's kind of like your three-month vacation, only we weren't really having fun, but for one month of it. <laughs> <laughs> and going um, back to a previous topic, because you charge revenue, you charge uh, customers monthly, the revenue went up every month anyhow. Yes, it did. It did. It went up no matter what. And what's really awesome is that I, uh, a few years ago I got sick with mono for the second time. Oh, my God. And um, I developed chronic fatigue syndrome, which kind of blew. <laughs> and for a while I was so sick. I couldn't do anything. Like, the, the best thing I could do in the day was to get up out of bed and go to the sofa and watch stupid TV. I couldn't even watch smart TV because it felt like I was having, like, an agoraphobic attack in a crowd with all the facts. Literally, <laughs> I was averse to facts. I couldn't cope. Uh, it turns out that was low cortisol, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, and so I couldn't do any, make any decisions or do anything at all for three months work-wise. <laughs> Zip. Um, and, and Thomas manned the support, and he talked to the one developer who was doing work for us, and... It was fine, and our business grew, even when I was on, like, practically bed rest. Mm -hmm. And that was a really transformative moment for me. I knew that we could take these vacations. I knew we could do this stuff. But that was, like, a holy shit moment. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) It was. We've been cursing like like, several times, though. Oh, okay. (laughs) I have. Patrick doesn't. My half of the podcast is PG. His is PG-13. Well, I hope I didn't offend. No, it's, um, it's no problem. All right. Excellent. Moving along. Moving <laughs> on. I, uh, it was a, you know, the sky. Once I felt better and could actually had the, had the cortisol to think about it, <laughs> uh, it was like a skies opened up, ray of light, a choir of angels singing and throwing cash. <laughs> it was, it was oh, the best. Image. I was like, you know what? I can't be fired. Um, I cannot be laid off. I do not have to worry about unpaid sick leave. Mm-hmm. I have it made. And I think that's one of the big reasons that I'm so, so, such a tireless promoter of what I call bacon business. Mm-hmm. Products that bring home the bacon, that make money, that you sell directly to people who buy them, not advertising, not marketplaces, not venture-backed, mm-hmm. because they can change lives. Like, mm-hmm. to get all philosophical for a moment, it's epic yeah. to be able to, to live this kind of lifestyle, isn't it? It's amazing. And um, I think not enough people promote it in a way that isn't like, oh, well, they're just super successful and that's not standard and I could never live like that. You know, the Mm -hmm. examples out there are just too lofty. Mm -hmm. And then there's people like us. Yeah. um, I know, so I've been hanging around with the uh, small software developer crowd for a while and there's a lot of businesses that might be, um, I think like bingo card creator in terms of scope, but maybe, you know, up to an order of magnitude or so more in terms of revenue, and just by, like, little things that you wouldn't expect that people could, you know, do as a full-time thing that they're doing as a full-time thing, and they get all the benefits of the uh, the lifestyle, which um, it, it's like being a rock star minus the groupies. You never have to show up anywhere <laughs> at any time. Money just appears magically in the bank account. Seriously, guys, if for any of you who are on the fence, try it. It's awesome. It is. That's, by the way, so I got a lot of respect for the Silicon Valley um, startup types. um, uh, And, you know, I've kicked around doing that myself a couple of times and been offered (coughs) motivational amounts of money to do that. Um, 
that's something that you will not hear from lots of the folks over there. <laughs> I wonder uh, why. Like, it, it's kind of like being a lawyer or consulting or you know, consulting like management consulting. Um, there's there's like people the lifestyle works for, and there's people that that the lifestyle just does not work for. I don't know if I can think of anyone off the top of my head who started their own uh, their own software business and went full time on it, and was like, no, you know, want to go back to the, my nine to five. I, I, I really want more challenges in life. That, that's something I hear from a lot of people. Don't don't you feel like bored, like you don't have enough challenges? And I'm like, oh, I can spin up challenges anytime I want. <laughs> In. So no one has ever said that to me. I think most people assume that it's way harder and more stressful than it is. Mm-hmm. And I understand why. I actually had sort of a short Twitter conversation with Jason Cohen, mm-hmm. who I absolutely adore. Mm-hmm. He has writes a fantastic blog, A Smart Bear. Mm-hmm. And um, before I say this, I'm going to say that I just think he's great. I wanted him to speak at ChiselConf, but it was just too far for him to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and he tweeted, um, why do entrepreneurs... Beat, why do startup founders beat themselves up? It's like, why do hamsters eat their young? They just have to. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, no. For, for starters, I didn't say this in the Twitter conversation, but I used to breed gerbils, and none of them ever ate their young because I took good care of them. <laughs> um, so I feel like I'm sort of an expert on both parts of this equation. Um, I was like, that's not true. And I basically, my gist was that people do it to themselves. Mm-hmm. And I was saying that it's, um, that, he says he said it was easier to be lenient after you've had objective success, and I said I wouldn't call it lenient. I call it self-respect. And it, and the truth is, it doesn't get easier after you've had objective success. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people they actually are worse to themselves after they've had objective success because mm-hmm. then they feel like they have something important to lose, right. mm-hmm. and that there's a lot of I know a few people who run businesses like ours. They're maybe more involved, some less involved, and they feel like. They can't go on vacation. They feel like they have to mm-hmm. answer email in the middle of the night. And they do it to themselves. Yeah. I think it's that's... It's not external. It's all internal, and I don't think Jason believes me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm constrained on how much I can say because he's a, um, one of my wonderful, lovely clients. But um, I've heard that similar feedback from other people who, again, much like Jason, I respect. And I think it is like a psychological thing that... This is a meme we really need to kill, but there's, I think there's a deep-seated zeitgeist, is that the right word? Pe- that, that people are afraid to allow themselves to be happy, and that, you know, success must require a certain quanta, a quantum of suffering, and if you're not suffering, then you're not, you're clearly not on the successful route. Even for people who are, you know, like, clearly by any objective measurement successful, I mean... Um, yeah. And that's kind of a personality thing too. Jason is a uh, he's a very you know hard charging type A kind of guy who is you know he's uh, he's got a ridiculously successful company right now. He's sold one successful company previously. Like um, if you want to look at somebody who's got it made, Jason has it made. He mm-hmm. there there's no external feature that that would necessarily need to make Jason feel you know need to beat himself up. That's kind of um, Something you said to me was very was very profound. That it's not what if there's ever an issue between you and another person, it's not about you; it's about them. Because absolutely, people, people so do, true. People that I, I think that like that that recompiled part of my source code when I heard it because <laughs> it was 
it was just so effing true. That, um, and I found myself quoting that to people a lot. Like people, um, you know, people have asked me, uh, you, you know, you didn't answer my email. Was it something I said? I'm like, nope. Just, just FYI. Anytime someone does something, it's probably because something that was just going on in their life because they're in their life 24 hours a day and they're in their relationship with you for like 36 seconds of the day. So, yep. You know, um, just don't worry about it. Similarly. Don't worry about what other people are thinking of you because they're probably thinking of you a lot less than you think they're thinking of you. They've got better Absolutely. things to do by their by their perspective. Same with software, by the way. Like we see our own software, you know, eight plus hours a day. We know we know where all the skeletons are buried. Um, we see every little imperfection. Customers, by and large, don't care about the little things. They don't it makes their life better. You know, great. You'll have complainers who largely won't buy it anyhow, but. Especially on the back end. Yeah. Right. Ninety percent of the customers, um, <laughs> you know, if it if it accomplishes the big like in forty eight point font promise that's on the front page of the website, they're good. You know, if it gets better over time, that's great. But fundamentally, they're good. If it has a bug, no problem. Computers eat things all the time. Whatever. I've got better things to do than worry about it. I, all what? those things come from the same root, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. What Terry Pratchett called being trapped in the dark behind the eyes. Mm-hmm. It's just that we go through our lives 100% privy to everything that goes on inside us, even if we don't understand it, mm-hmm. which most of us don't. But, And this has been proven by research. When we make a mistake or we choose something, we have this like elaborate reason why. Um, and when someone else does the same thing, we get really glib and superficial. Like, well, mm-hmm. I did this because I made a mistake and blah, blah, blah. But he did that because he's a jerk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Um, it all comes from being self-involved, which mm-hmm. is like the default nature of humanity. And I, I think you were saying that it was like a zeitgeist, and uh, that was the right word. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just human. I think a lot of us, especially in Western cultures, we tend to self-flagellate for no good reason. People like call it the Puritan mm-hmm. um, yeah. work ethic or whatever. But uh, I also, well, it's not just Western. Western. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say Japan could teach everybody about self-flagellation. <laughs> um, and Fair enough. Looking at it from the Japanese perspective, I wonder how much of it is almost like an arms race. So one of the things that happens in Japanese oh companies... Oh, yes. So going back to the um, startup where people have to suffer. So they have to work the 20 hours um, a day kind of thing, only four hours of sleep, constantly working, not, not taking care of their um, their health and stuff like that. There are people out there who only need four hours of sleep, who enjoy working 15, 18, 20 hours a day. I'm actually close to that. I love working, and I work much more than I probably should, but because I enjoy it. It's my hobby to be creating things. Um, And I think people see, especially people like that who have become successful, and think, oh, this person is successful because he only sleeps four hours a day. I must... In order for myself to be successful, I have to only sleep four hours a day as well. And I think it becomes an an arms race for trying to be successful. And in Japan, there's a very similar thing um, with the amount of hours people work. So people think that people in Japan work long hours and they are productive for all those hours. That is the the furthest thing from the truth (laughs) on the planet. Um, They sleep. They clean their ears. I had my coworker assemble a bicycle in his <laughs> in his cubicle during work hours for no apparent reason whatsoever. 
Um, it's assumed that people, there, just like in the startup business, there are people who work long hours because they are really good and they are successful. There are people who work long hours because they're idiots and not successful and it takes them time to do everything. But the longer the people are there, if everyone is there, it's so much harder for you to go home, right? If successful right. guy number one is working 10, um, 12, 14 hours a day, you think, oh, I have to be there as long as he's there. Otherwise, I'm not going to be seen as being as productive as him. Hmm. So what it comes down to is a bunch of people sitting in an office for 14, 16 hours a day, only doing about four to five hours of actual work. <laughs> so it's cargo culting mixed with social contagion. Right. Exactly. And, right. And like a massive but, game of chicken where, you know, yeah, for the chicken or prisoner's dilemma, I guess, one, one of them, you know, the, fir the first person to decide to go home gets the evil eye. Um, and I think that's right. true, and I think that's, you know, part of the startup culture, too, in that, oh, you know, you quit after only 10 hours today, you must not want success enough, and because people, man, we, we construct our own cultural pathologies, um, uh, because people don't have, you know, enough exemplars of, of uh, folks and companies that said, you know, yeah, we, we work four, six, eight hours a day, and we go home to our, we go home to the kids, and things are fine. Right. Um, that I, I think cultural pathology ends up getting, you know, celebrated. We need more um, Fog Creeks of the world. Yeah, Fog Creek. Um, uh, the office is a ghost town after five o'clock. Uh, except as on game well, night. it should be. Except on game night. <laughs> um, so, you were saying, Keith, that um, the, co the examples you had were the guy who works twelve to fourteen hours and is successful, and then the mm -hmm. guy who works. Um, I think you said. 12 to 14 hours and was not successful. Yeah. Um, but I think, I thought you said lower numbers for the second guy. But anyway, when, a, when you I'm said that, idea. I was thinking um, that what you don't have room for in Japan, apparently, but also not in Silicon Valley, is the person who works five hours a day and actually outperforms the person who works 12 hours a day. And that's not right. uncommon. Mm -hmm. Right. I and have a lot of people who, who use Freckle who've written into me and said, you know what I discovered, which is really freeing, is that I actually only get two to four hours of work done at my computer every day. The rest is dicking around. And so I'm going to spend all the rest of the time that I would waste on the computer going out going and out. playing music or walking around or reading. Mm -hmm. And then I'll get more work done in the two to four hours I actually work. Right. And, and I think that's true. That's backed up by a lot of research. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely, definitely. And going back to the Japanese side of it, the problem is, is that when everyone is forced to work 12 to 14 hours a day, you then have the problem of why would I work smarter? Yeah. Why would I try to automate my process so that I can work more during those 12 to 14 hours instead of dicking around? So it's actually, because you're in a trapped system here, then there's no reason to better yourself. But using a product like Freckle, and especially for consultants and people who define their own time, it's the biggest win you can probably have. If you find out that you are dicking around on the Internet for two, three hours a day while you're working, and you and a time-tracking software like Freckle actually makes you realize that, and then you gain two to three hours a day. Because That's true. as soon as you realize that you're dicking around, you go, okay, I'm just going to leave the computer. I'm going to de-screen. I'm going to go off, play with my child, play with my friends, go out drinking, get slammed, or so, or whatever you want to do, right? This is one of the benefits of, uh, one of the benefits of doing your own thing, and that you don't have the social pressure. Well, you have social pressure coming from yourself, which always happens, but you don't have social pressure from other people who can tell when you leave the office. Um, so if you find, like, I'm totally, 
the vast majority of days, I have like a two to four hour peak of productivity, and after that, I'm pretty much shot. And since I know this about myself now, I just don't work the rest of it. You probably shouldn't uh, say that. Your clients are probably listening. <laughs> I will tell this to any clients. That you only work two hours a day? <laughs> this is why I have you pay the week rate, guys, because, you know, work gets done, but they're... Assuming 480 minutes of, like, equally productive time is not a good assumption for working for me, which you will probably notice as I check Hacker News in the middle of the day. Um, <laughs> uh, but, no, the... Um, it's funny, though. Like, uh, uh, there's people who I respect enormously who have found out the same thing about themselves. Like, you know, four hours a day is kind of the the productivity limit, and after that it suffers. And um, I know one of them in particular, and I won't mention his name because he asked me not to mention it publicly but the point is that he asked me not to mention it publicly he thought people would think less of him if they thought that his business which is wildly successful um was just a part-time gig which that breaks my brain like half the reason i do the blog and the podcast and whatnot is to give people you know examples of there being kind of like multiple paths to the cheese of you know here, success here. in life um that you know, there's, um, man, uh, I wish everybody happiness. That's kind of like a foundational, fun, uh, philosophical thing for me. But I want to introduce people to other ways of getting to happiness, which can include not working all the time. Um, or much at all. Or much at all. <laughs> Um, that was not a slam on you or anything. I was actually thinking about myself when I said that. Just <laughs> oh, it's no problem. Not <laughs> no, I no, thought he, you would he, think it was an insult. I, I'm lazy <laughs> like a fox. Yeah, and um. he he's very <laughs> proud of that. He's very proud of that. He gets on my case all the time for working too much. So I'm I'm going to convert brown. Keith. Uh, well, <laughs> you con- you converted me to um, quitting my day job, so he might be successful yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it, so, and I'm only saying I'm going to convert Keith because Keith's my best friend. So the less he works, the more time I have to. Like play the League of Legends with him, and the but more time he has to exploit <laughs> me for his own um, product development and stuff. Oh, this is <laughs> Keith, Keith. In addition to being my best friend, is also the designer. Uh, but I can't get any of his time because it's been filled up with Eating client up, work. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, um, what was I saying? But if you know, if other people are sincerely happy working sixteen hours a day in the coding salt mines, um, bully for you. But I, I, I've. I know because I've talked to and met a lot of people who are doing the 16-hour days in the coding salt mines because they think either that's required to be successful or because they are strongly socially pressured by people that that is the behavior you should emulate. So if you are folks out there like that, if it makes you happy, thumbs up, go for it. But if you're not truly happy by that, then start doing something that will make you happy because there are so many ways to succeed in this, uh, in business, in life, in general. Absolutely. And you're not talking about, you know, runners up either. Like, um, <laughs> we did not quite hit my revenue estimates for 2011, but we did have $550,000 of revenue. And in 2008, shabby, we had right? zero. <laughs> High five. Sorry, what? Not too shabby, right? Not too shabby, right? I, yeah, exactly. I was open for 600 grand and we didn't quite make it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was with a lot of drama where we didn't work for a lot of that year. Mm-hmm. Um, I had surgery. I was really sick. That was the three months. That was last year. I had surgery. was out of commission for six weeks. Then we had this hiring and firing drama. Like, that year was screwed. And we made $550,000. I could, I mean, could basically, I'm basically retired. <laughs> and I don't want to be this way 
forever. Like I really enjoy working and I enjoy having an impact and I enjoy touching people's lives with my software, my course. Mm-hmm. And I do spend a lot of time on my course. Uh, 30 by 500, that is. But that's, we could sit on our asses and rake in $550,000 a year and really work just a, f- a couple hours a day on average. And we could really cut our overhead because we spend mo- most of our overhead we spend on developing new features and um, our new app, Charm. Like, we spent a lot of money on that the mm-hmm. last year. That's because I want, I have bigger ambitions, but I'm never going to work a 40 hour work week. Like, I had this, like, near-death experience, basically, with chronic fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a priority <coughs> change, and I used to workaholic. Nope, no more, now I'm a hippie. But you could be a hippie mm-hmm. and earn $500,000 a year if you pick the right product and if you keep at it. Right. And the first year and a half kind of really sucked, but we got over that, and now we're making really good money. Mm-hmm. And it's not that hard. And, you know, mm-hmm. Patrick... I found out about you because you blog about this stuff because you're trying to be a positive example. And I also don't understand why the person, you know, refuses to be named because he's afraid of being shamed. Um, and that's just really sad. I think that, you know, by telling people you make the world a better place, but I understand why, why he's afraid, but, um, I would rather put it all out there mm-hmm. <laughs> and be a positive example. Cause there are so few of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, uh, that is one reason to so going back to a topic you were just talking about like uh, you said you know we're not runners up here um, uh, do, do, how do I want to phrase this I like celebrating other people's successes um, you know you guys make more money than me bully for you 37 signals can buy you know Everybody in Chicago, a sports car these days, um, bully for them. Like it, it makes me happy to hear that other people are doing well. Um, if you compare yourself to other people and think you're not successful unless you're beating them by some metric, you will generally be less happy than you are if you're comparing yourself against either where you were previously or what your goals are. And you know, like, success for me is either beating where I was last year or beating where I thought I was going to be this year. Um, you know, that generates happy points for me. Whereas, um, uh, I never really care about comparing it with other folks. Um, and I think like folks who, um, folks like the friend of mine who, uh, success is partly defined by being seen as successful where that kind of screws your, screws up your priorities a little bit. Um, although I'm not totally immune to that myself. Uh, that was rambling. <laughs> I'm sorry. Not as much as me. Actually, I think we're going to have to um, yeah, we should probably close this down because we've gotten complaints in the past about us talking too much. Oh, which well, I, this one was only an hour and a half or so. So, well, we also we also shut the ship for about 15 minutes. So it's a, oh, after editing, it'll be about an hour. So, oh, okay, I think yeah, we're good. All right, only an hour. All right, well, uh, thanks very much, Amy. Let's give give folks the actionable information with the call to action at the end if they want to sign up for. Uh, 30 by 500, how do they do that? Well, first, you actually have to apply. So we've been creating more and more successes each time I run the class, and I want to keep that turned up. So I need to basically help decide with you if you're, if 30 by 500 is right for you at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, the, that application is launching on April 13th. That's Friday, uh, Friday the 13th. And all the information is available on my blog at unicornfree.com. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Sounds great. 
Thanks very much Thank for uh, doing the podcast with us, Amy. It was insightful as always. Uh, Thank you for to, having me. It was great to meet you, and looking forward to Ditto. seeing more about 30 by 500 and more Freckle stuff, too. And for, me some freckle. and for all you folks in the audience, we'll probably be doing this again in a month or two. A month or two. So, depending see you on when time. we can all get together with a microphone. Yeah. All right. Thanks for joining us, Amy. You take care. Thank you for having me. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye bye.